Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilsett, let's go over the good news. Um, we're still going to get snow, but at least as it stands now, they are downgrading the estimate. You know, earlier this week it could be up to like a foot and stuff. Now we're talking three to five inches. Three to five inches in southeast Wisconsin, maybe a little bit more to the north and west right. of the state. So it's still a little bit early, but but that that is that is good news. Secondly, have you seen the long term forecast? So it's supposed to snow this weekend and get really cold. By 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 next Thursday and Friday, it's supposed to be in the mid forties. <laughs> It, 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 we're, we're, that's after this weekend where it's supposed to be really, really cold. The long range forecast completely reverses the weather. Right. For, I, Here I was, we go. They, right. They're, they're talking. I saw it like for next Thursday and Friday, they're saying showers. I'm saying showers. Well, that's because it, it's going to be like 45 or so. Isn't that crazy. Yeah, just, I mean, we're looking at wind chills like into the 30 below range. Right. right. And then we're going to have 40 degrees. Well, and as far as travel, I, it's always, it, it, see, it's the, it's the wind. The only time in my life. That I have ever put a car into a ditch, it was in one of those the the ground blizzards. I, I remember I was driving from Vermillion, South Dakota, to Sioux City, Iowa, for some reason, and it, and it, there was only like an inch and a half of snow on the ground. But you had these like forty mile an hour winds, mm-hmm. and it picked up the snow, and you just flat could not see. And I was following a truck because I figured that was the best thing to do. And the truck drove into the ditch, and I drove there into the went. ditch. And then you get out of the car, and you're going. There's, it's not like there's that much snow. It's just the wind made it so you couldn't see, see. And that's what everyone keeps talking about when we, when you hear blizzard-like conditions or blizzard warnings or things like that, which we don't have anything like that right now. You think, you know, two feet of snow or something like that. It doesn't have to be. It's basically visibility. Right. So with 50-mile-per-hour wind gusts and very dry snow blowing around on a cold day, yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to right, see. Right, which is why you, you, again, need to be careful. We're... we're we do not overhype the weather or things like that. That's why we just try to tell you what they're, they're thinking it is. Thinking is, but if you're thinking, oh, it's only going to be three to five inches, that's nothing. Well, you couple that three to five inches with forty mile an hour winds, and it, it especially as you get into the rural areas and stuff, you get the drifting snow and you get the visibility that mm-hmm. comes out. Yep, yep. All right. Now, speaking of visibility, I told you this last night. Um, I was my grandson is um, very active in theater and stuff like that. And Hamilton High School had their their big choir oh, performance nice. and stuff. So we were we were out there, and the, the show was always great. And then we're driving back, and of course I'm coming back. I, I live you know in Ozaki County, so I'm coming back across Good Hope Road, and it's like nine nine thirty at night. And this deer walks in front of me. It was really? just, it was just this. I, and I guess, I mean, I, I guess they're still out, but I wasn't necessarily thinking of it. And my wife's on the phone talking to a friend of hers, and she, she says, "You almost hit that deer." I said, "Well, the deer walked in front of me and stuff." And and um, I'm thinking because you know I know like during deer hunting season and stuff they're kind of active, but I'm thinking, man, mid December then or late December, and they're still out there on those roads. You almost clipped it, eh? Almost clipped it, but did not. So good it's you. good for the deer, good for my car, good for <laughs> yes. the insurance company. Yes. But again, that's the other thing. Be cautious out there because there was still deer. I'm thinking, right. God, it's it's almost Christmas and there's still deer walking across, you know, Good Hope Road yeah. out in, um, you know, wherever. 
Man, no thank you. I, I, I came close to one on Silver Spring a couple of weeks ago, and that caught me by surprise, too. So, yeah, they're still out there. And so be careful. All right. So this, by the way, my final program of the year, um, but we're, so we're going to cover a lot of ground, lots of things I want to discuss. By the way, I, I've got some more good news for you because uh, today is the winter solstice. The winter solstice rolls around, I think, technically at like about 4 o'clock our time. And, and what, does, what does the winter solstice mean? It means today is the day where there is the least sunlight available. And I understand we haven't seen the sun for a long time around here, but, but this is the shortest day as far as sunlight. So the Earth is as far away. Where we are in the Earth is about as far away from the sun as, as it gets. What this means, if you're looking for the good news, is that the daylight hours start to increase. So it's all downhill from today. So today will be the shortest day. Tomorrow, the sun will rise and the sun will set just a little bit later. Now, again, you're not going to probably notice it for the next couple of weeks. But the bottom line is this is always one of the target dates I have because, yeah, okay, it, it's it's going to start to stay lighter. We have gotten through that patch. So today is the winter solstice, and starting tomorrow, you get a little bit more, you know, daylight area that is out there. So celebrate the winter solstice. Go out with the Druids. Have fun. All right, a lot of ground to cover. Let us get started. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that the city is allowing itself to be held hostage by this company. Now, we, we've, we talk a lot on this program, I know, about Northridge Mall. And part of the reason is because that was such a big part of my life growing up. I mean, when I was a kid, that's where you hung out. And I, I just it broke my heart to see what happened to Northridge, to see the downward spiral. And now it really breaks my heart to see that this is this, what was once this thriving mall, is now this decrepit building that has fire after fire after fire. There was a small fire that happened the other day. And what's happening is you've got neighborhood kids, neighborhood vandals, whatever, who are breaking into the place and they're setting it on and they're starting fires for fun. And what happens is the fire department has to go out and they have to respond. You, you just can't let the thing burn down. The city for a couple of years has been trying to foreclose and to tear the thing down. And this Chinese company, the American offshoot is U.S. Black Spruce Enterprises, but it's a company based in China. They have been doing everything they possibly can to jerk the city around. They don't pay their property taxes until it's right at the moment where this place is going to get foreclosed on, and then they come in and they pay just enough money to avoid foreclosure. They get a raise order, R-A-Z-E. So the city orders, is, gets an order from the judge to get it torn down, and then they appeal and unfortunately, you had a two court of appeal judges who guppied on their argument and then stayed the appeal process. Now you have a couple fires. So the bottom line is you have this company that, well, they, they go through lawyers. The lawyers that were representing them in the beginning, um, they withdrew because they weren't being paid. So now that the lawyers are suing the company, trying to get the money they owe. They've got new lawyers that I, I don't know how much longer they're going to be on the case. I don't get the sense that there's a lot of communication. There was another fire. But here's the here's the updated story in the Journal Sentinel. Raising, R-A-Z-I-N-G, the former Northridge Mall would cost $15 million. But city officials say, we don't know where the money is going to come from. And the judge, Bill Sosny, says, I, I find this unacceptable. 
Um, the property's Chinese-based owner is appealing the teardown order issued by the city. In November, the judge gave the city permission to proceed with demolition while the appeal continues. Um, however, the city says we don't have the money to, to do this, and we think the company should pay. The um, property owners are out of the country, so the city just they, 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 they don't know exactly what to do. If... Um, there's a hearing, another hearing on January 13th. If Black Spruce fails to produce plans to give them a demolition timeline um, in writing, or it fails to maintain security at the mall, which they haven't done, um, Sosny will hold the company in contempt of court. Well, it's a Chinese company. They don't care if they're held in contempt or not. And the fire chief, appropriately, is absolutely livid about this because it continues to be a huge safety hazard. All right, our number, one segment, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Here's what needs to happen, like about yesterday. The city needs to bring in the bulldozers. They need to level the place. Get it gone. They need to go after this company for any costs that they incur in leveling this hazard. And then they need to sell it and keep whatever money they have. This company is, in my opinion, a bad actor. This company is figuring out a way to try to jerk around the legal system and try to delay stuff. And somebody is going to get killed in that place. And I understand there's a huge expense. I understand the city says, well, we don't have 13 or $15 million to tear it down. I don't know why it costs. I, I don't know why bringing in bulldozers and, and leveling the thing is going to cost 13 to $15 million. It would seem to me that you could do it for a lot less than that. But the city needs to figure out a way to do this, and then they need to get ahead and do it, and then they need to aggressively go after this company for any sort of, number one, the destruction costs, and number two, any sort of damages. And the fact that this Chinese company is holding this community hostage and that's exactly what's happening, is absolutely ridiculous. Tear it down, start tearing it down. Well, okay, if you want to wait till January 13th, that's fine, but the bulldozer should be ready to go, and then let's go after that company, and it might be that you can't collect it. It might be that it's a foreign company that doesn't have any assets in the United States that you can attach, but it doesn't matter. It's time to move on, and the worst thing that would happen around here is if six months from now or a year from now, we're still having this conversation while the Chinese-based company just decides to, again, do whatever they can to, to try to delay what is the inevitable. 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. The Christmas present from the city of Milwaukee to the, to the taxpayers, and in particular to people who live on the northwest side, should be to tear the damn thing down right away and then figure out what the next step should be. Do you sell off the land? Do you build a prison there? I don't care, but you got to start by tearing the place down, and they should do it like tomorrow, 855-616-1620, instead of, well, we're not sure we have the money to do this, and we think the company should pay for it. This company's not going to do anything. All they're going to do is delay and delay and delay, like they've done for the last seven or eight years. It's time for the city to take the bull by the horns and get going. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, a couple people say, well, the fire chief needs to just let it burn. Well, I, we had the fire chief on a couple months ago. 
And, and that's one of the questions I ask. Next time this happens, why don't you just turn it into a controlled burn? And he said, well, we, we can't do that because this is this huge, this huge building. You don't know if somebody might be inside there. And imagine if some vandal who had gone in there had, had set it on fire and gets trapped in there. Then it turns out that some kid, arsonist as he is, ends up dying. You, you can't do that. Plus, there's all sorts of issues with the size of it. I mean, you can't just let it burn. At least that's what the fire chief says. Now, some other people are saying, well, the city shouldn't have to pay for it. Look, I agree. The city shouldn't have to pay for it. The, the problem, though, is you've got, a, in my opinion, a bad actor. This is not a good company, but it's a far based company that has little, from what I understand, little or no assets in the United States. So you can say, okay, this is the bill to tear the place down. This is what it's going to cost. And, and you can get a judgment against them. But the question is, how do you end up collecting on that? I mean, it's not like, I don't know, it's not like you have a, a, a United States-based company or a company with lots of assets here that you can go after. I mean, their, their previous lawyers, for example, they're suing them for, for back payment of legal fees, from what I understand. So it, it's it's complicated, but I think you get the order, you tear the thing down, you then try to sell the facility, and you use some of that to offset part of the cost of tearing it down. Let's start with Steve in Oak Creek. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Steve. Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Steve. Yes, uh, Steve. Yeah. Go ahead. I think uh, I agree with you. It should be torn down. And I'd say uh, build a solar energy and a wind energy facility. There's all kinds of incentives and tax credits for doing that. So get we energies involved to build a solar facility and wind facility out on this property at Northridge. Well, I mean, th- again, I, I'm, I'm open to... I am open to all suggestions. A lot of people think it would be an ideal site for, you know, a local youth prison. I, I don't know what makes the most sense. I, I'm, but that's, that, that's, I guess, the next step. The first step to advancing any of this th- stuff is, is you've got you've to tear it down because nobody's going to be able to do anything with it in the condition that it is in now. The only thing that's going to happen is it is going to further deteriorate that this company hasn't done anything or almost nothing that it was required to months ago they're sitting wherever they're sitting overseas thumbing their nose they don't care about you know the northwest side of milwaukee doesn't make any difference at all i've never figured out what the end game here is but meanwhile people in that neighborhood are held you know held hostage jeff can it be torn down and resold or something build on the land that's actually owned by another company well yeah i mean i I think the, the city that's See, the city cannot allow itself to be held hostage to these essentially absentee landlords. There was another story the other day about this house that's in complete and total disrepair. Neighbors are complaining about it, and, and the city hasn't been able to raise it. At some point in time, you've got to move the bulldozers in. And, and yes, I, I think the way to do this is you level it, and then you, you try to sell it. Now, I don't know what the interest is going to be in trying to sell something about you know that. You know, no question uh, about it. Um, but there's got to be an end game somewhere along the line. Um, Jeff, I guess you do what China would do. Um, tear it down and then tell the company to pound sand. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's what the judge is saying. The judge is saying, okay, let, let's do it. The city is saying the problem is they, they don't have the $15 million it's going to take to tear it down. Again, I don't understand how it costs $15 million. Now, I, I, I don't know what the, the hazardous waste system is there and all, but, you know, bring in a few bulldozers and get the process going here. Jeff, I don't know about Milwaukee, but where I live in the city, if, if the city has to incur expenses on my property, 
They put expenses on my property tax bill. If you don't pay the bill, they foreclose and take ownership. At that point, they can sell it or use it as desired. Right. And, you know, the, the city, the, this this is a sneaky company as well because they have been delinquent in their property taxes like they are now. But right before, and this has been the pattern, right before the city is ready to foreclose, they pay just enough to get to avoid the foreclosure. Well, this we're not talking about the foreclosure anymore. What we're talking about is a matter of public safety with regard to this. So, you know, you, you've got to... You can't allow this to happen anymore. And it's I mean, I think that's what the message has to be in 2023. We're tired of messing around with a company that is not proceeding in good faith. We're going to raise it and we're going to incur that cost. And then we're going to do everything we possibly can to go after this company to try to hold them responsible for, number one, allowing the building to fall into neglect in the first place. And number two, then creating this hazard. You cannot allow yourself no municipality can allow themselves to be held hostage to the ultimate, the ultimate horrible landlord. Just one final thought on our last topic. A lot of people are texting in with, with different theory, legal theories as to the basis to condemn the property, eminent domain, foreclose, etc. And and I agree. We're really though. That's not really what the question is. Because trust me, the judge already is ready to tell him to tear this down. I don't think a court of appeals is going to stop it. The problem the city has is the city says we think it's going to cost thirteen million dollars to tear it down. I don't understand why they think it's that much. But I'm not in the demolition business. City says we don't have. I mean, we're broke. They don't say that, but the city's broke. We don't have thirteen million dollars to demolish this. We think that the company should pay. And, and I think there's there's a lot of merit to that, that the company should pay. The problem is this is a foreign company that I don't think has any significant assets beyond the Northridge that in this company, in this country. So, yeah, you, you get an order. This is one of my law school professors always used to say, anybody can sue any, anybody for anything, and you can get judgments. But if the judgments aren't collectible, you just – put them up on a piece of paper on, on your wall. So, I mean, I think the problem is they, they can get a judgment against this company, this Black Spruce company, but if they don't have any assets that you can attach, if they're a foreign company, it's very, very difficult to get them to pay. And that's the, the problem. It's not so much can we get a go-ahead to tear it down, it's where is the dough going to come from. And I guess my problem is that this is you're allowing yourself to be held hostage now to this bad actor foreign company. So that that's the issue that they're facing. All right. Do you feel better now? Those of you that hate Donald Trump, well, now, now, and, and Trump's had, Trump's had a, a very, very bad stretch of time. There, there's no question about it, and it seems like it's getting worse, not better. But predictably, um, now what, what has happened is the House Ways and Means Committee, after a several-year battle, has finally gotten access to his tax returns, or at least his tax returns during for the years that he was, was president. And as many of us predicted, despite the fact that tax returns are supposed to be private and confidential, they immediately made these these public. So the what what you have here and, and here's the the big problem. Congress through the Ways and Means Committee has the right to obtain people's tax returns if they choose. This what's happened here now for really the, the first time, this has been weaponized because you have political enemies of the former president, and he brings a lot of this on himself 
They, they've now what they've done is the Democrats controlled uh, Congress and the House of Representatives and will for another couple of weeks. And what they did is they've decided, OK, we're going to get Trump's taxes because the law allows us to do it. And even though there's no evidence of criminality or anything like that, we're going to release the, these documents. We're, we're going to make it public, despite the fact that tax returns, even the tax returns of a former president, are supposed to be confidential. Now, I think this is a huge mistake. I think um, it, it's now set a precedent even though I believe Trump should have released his tax returns in the beginning, it's now it's now set a precedent because the only point of doing what they did was to embarrass him, you know, perhaps to show that he paid a little little tax. And I'll get to that in a minute. But this is now the, the standard. So from now on, you know, if you've got the Republicans that control the Ways and Means Committee, you, you now have this standard that the Republicans can say, OK, we're going to we're going to pull people's private tax returns and we're going to make them public. Or Democrats decide, you know, we don't uh, we're, we're troubled by what Ron Johnson is doing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pull. I don't know if Ron Johnson's made his tax returns public or not. I just pulled that out as an example. We're, we're going to we're going to take those tax returns and we're going to make them public. Or the CEO of this company that we don't like, well, we're going to pull their tax returns and, and make them public. They've weaponized this. And I think that's going to be bad for the country moving forward beyond Donald Trump. But here's here's kind of the bottom line. So what what did all this do? What what were in the tax returns? Well, here's the way the the New York Times describes it. Trump paid one point million dollars in taxes during his presidency, but zero dollars in 2020. The report shows the former president reported a burst of income after entering the Oval Office. But by the end of the term, his tax filings had reverted to large losses, according to data released by a House panel. In the first three years as president, Donald Trump paid $1.1 million in federal income tax before paying no tax as his income dwindled and losses once again mounted in 2020, according to tax data released Tuesday by House committee. The data, which includes details of Mr. Trump's federal tax returns from 2015 through his full term in the White House, shows that he began his presidency suffering the sort of large business losses that had defined much of his career and paid almost nothing in income tax. But his fortunes changed in 2018 as he reported $24.3 million in adjusted gross income and paid nearly $1 million in federal tax. Mr. Trump's tax returns show he was in the black the following year as well, reporting $4.4 million in income and paying $133,445 in tax. But in, 19, in 2020, as the country staggered under the coronavirus pandemic, his finances reversed course. Mr. Trump reported a loss of $4.8 million and zero income tax. The fresh details of Mr. Trump's taxes emerged from two reports released Wednesday by the House Ways and Means Committee. The new information adds to what is publicly known about Mr. Trump's income tax history, something he had fought for years to keep hidden. Um, his reports to the IRS portrayed a businessman who took in hundreds of millions of dollars a year, yet racked up chronic losses that he aggressively employed to avoid paying taxes. But while his personal income tax data analyzed by the Times ran only through the first year of the White House, the information released Tuesday encompasses his entire presidency. Okay, so now now you've got the data. Now you've got the data. Tax returns, your tax returns, my tax returns, they are they are supposed to be private. So nobody is suggesting right now, at least, 
that, that Trump committed any sort of crimes. Now, there might be some audits going on. There, there might be, there's a question, okay, did you, you know, the charitable deductions that he claimed, is that leg- some of them are they legit or not? Does he have the documentation to support some cash charitable deductions he claims he made? But the, the bigger point here is, right, what is the purpose of releasing his tax ret- obtaining his tax returns and releasing them to the public other than an attempt to embarrass him because oh he, you know he he claims to be this great business guy but look he had all the, these huge losses and he ended up paying no income tax in for 2020 nobody is suggesting that it was a fraudulent tax return it's just okay he had business expenses he had losses so he didn't know any income tax just like lots of people did didn't know income tax if they had big losses other than pure political efforts to embarrass him, which is fine. If you don't like Trump, I, I get it. But, you know, what about the next guy and the next guy? And what about your neighbor? And what about you? 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I am afraid what happened yesterday, and I look, I, I could care less about the disclosures of Donald Trump one way or the other, but I think it has set a startlingly bad precedent that now makes tax returns of people, it makes them subject to, again, the political process. You're a political enemy of the party in power. We're going to embarrass you. We're going to obtain your tax records, and then we're going to make them public so people can see maybe you're not as successful a business person or you claim to be a successful business person and you had these huge losses. I mean, what at the end of the day, what is the purpose of making this stuff public? If he's committed a crime, prosecute him. If he's claimed deductions that doesn't rise to the level of criminal activity but should be the source of a civil lawsuit, fine. That's what the IRS does on a daily basis. But putting aside Donald Trump, what is the purpose of making his tax returns public? What is the purpose of making any political uh, figures tax returns public and have we set an awful precedent by what happened yesterday our number 855-616-1620 my answer is 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 yeah because it's a new standard now and and it's a new day and i can easily see future congresses using this precedent as a way to i don't know embarrass or expose i I guess i'm going to use the word embarrass you know they're political enemies for what purpose? Yeah, okay. So maybe Trump isn't as successful as a businessman as he claimed. What's the purpose of making his private tax return information public in this fashion? What was accomplished? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Look, I, I have no love lost for Donald Trump, but th- this what happened with these tax returns is, is a bigger thing than that. The law does not require public figures. The law doesn't require anybody to disclose their tax returns. Now, many people do it. Many people who run for president do it because they think it will put them in better stead. They want to show we've got nothing to hide, whatever. But but there's no legal obligation to do it. So the House Ways and Means Committee, which has the authority to pull up anybody's taxes, Donald Trump's taxes, your taxes, my taxes, they, they, they do it, okay, they get them, and then they immediately turn around and release them. No, there's no evidence of criminality here. There, there's none at all. You know, the IRS takes care of investigating that stuff. There's no suggestion of, of any sort of criminality, but they make it public with the intention simply to embarrass the former president. Oh, he claims to be this great business guy, but he paid no taxes in 2020. All right, that is is this 
is this the new standard that that we want to have? So you know, moving forward, if you're uh, if if you're I, I don't know Ron DeSantis, and I don't know if DeSantis has disclosed his tax returns or not. But Democrats control the House and Ways Means Committee. They say, okay, well, we want to see what we want to see what Ron DeSantis is making, and then we're going to turn around and make this public. And, and what about? What about other public figures? We think the oil company executives, we think those executives are making too much money. So what we're going to do is we're going to make their tax returns public. It's a very, 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 I think, scary precedent that we have just set. And for what purpose other than simply where we want to embarrass Donald Trump and figuring that there's not going to be too many people who are sympathetic to Donald Trump? Okay, I get that. But what happens when it's the next person and the next person and the next person. We have just opened this door, and if you don't think both parties are now going to run through this and weaponize tax returns, I think you're you're naive. Let's talk to John in Wauwatosa. Hi, John. Hey, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I come from the standpoint, regardless of which way your political leanings are, um, that if someone is going to hold the highest office in the free world, it makes sense that the voters should have some sort of knowledge as to if they might be, I don't know, influenced by someone because of their personal life or their business dealings or what have you, right? So although I do agree with you, it might be a slippery slope to have this kind of, you know, economic insight made public. Um, I do think with how much Donald Trump in this specific instance said he was going to run America like a business back in 2016 and all that jazz, it might be worthwhile that people know how successful or maybe if he's indebted to anybody because that is a serious situation so okay John let me ask you let me let me ask you two let me ask you two questions let me let me ask you two questions first of all uh, I, let, let's let's take your premise that the public should should have access to that shouldn't shouldn't that be a matter then you, you can make a law I mean you know Congress can pass the law should that be a matter in the discretion of a handful of one members of a political party that's opposite of the president. So, I mean, if you want to have a law that says, as a condition of running for president, you have to disclose your taxes, that, that that's fine. But there, there's no law that requires that. I guess, does it trouble you that you have, you know, one political side that decides whose tax returns they're going to pull and then make public? Yeah, I, I would be bothered by that, frankly, and as okay. you might – be able to uh, tell. I've called into the program before. I'm a little more left-leaning. Yeah. Um, I still think that is problematic. In the long run, I think anybody running for that important of an office who has a uh, a very you know strong hand in making policy that's going to affect the entire country, we should know what's going on behind the scenes at least a little bit. Okay. No. Thanks for calling. And again, that that that's, that is a reasonable argument to make. And my argument would be okay. That's. That, that, that should be then, – then Congress should pass the law that says if you're going to run for president or as a condition of being elected president or if you're the nominee, you, you have to make those disclosures. Then you have to comply with it. But we don't have a law right now. This was – this is in the waning days of – of a Congress that is controlled by the Democrats. And let's be honest, they did it to embarrass Trump. And, and I, okay, that, that's fine. But that's what the purpose of this was. There was no larger purpose. The, the other comment I would make in response to, to what you said, John, is that you think that, that people should be able to judge this as to whether there's conflicts. I, I guess my, my response would be when, when Trump ran in 2016 and again in 2020, he didn't 
he, he didn't disclose his tax returns, and it, w- it was an issue. It was an issue in 2016, and it wasn't enough of an issue to stop him from being elected president. It was an issue again in 2020, and I don't know if that contributed to him losing, but the voters ended up deciding. But I guess my, my big point is, I don't. if you want to pass a law that has this happen, I'm cool with that. But but it's it's the partisan nature of this. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, 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 you sound like a typical Trump toady. How long did Trump say he would release his taxes? Many. Uh, you, you, again, you miss the point, and this is the problem. People who have this blind hatred for Donald Trump miss the big point. The big picture is... We have now set a new standard that is going to be used for people beyond Donald Trump. I hate Donald Trump, so I think it's good. Let's embarrass him. Let's put out those tax returns. Okay, that's fine. Now think how you're going to feel six months from now or a year from now when a different Congress uses this to say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put out, we are concerned whether the top 30 donors to Democrat organizations, we're concerned whether or not they were getting undue influence. So we're going to obtain and then we're going to publicly release all their tax returns. Now, it's, that, that's, this is the door that we have opened up. And this is what I think, you know, you, you have to recognize here. And again, some other people are saying, well, I, he couldn't possibly have these losses. You know, he, he, he needs to be, you know, charged with tax fraud. Okay, the, the IRS, trust me. Former federal prosecutor here. The, the IRS, the IRS is very, very aggressive when it comes to collecting money that they believe that they are, are owed. And if they determine that Donald Trump made took deductions that he wasn't entitled to, there, there's no question they will go after Trump and his organization. And and if they do, then that becomes public. You know, with regard to that action, if they believe that there's an el- elements of, of criminality. They can issue charges, but at least so far, there, there's none of that. And, and the committee, the House Ways and Means Committee, doesn't suggest that there's any of it. This was just purely to embarrass him. And, you know, that's it. Um, Jeff, let them put out any and all taxes for anyone. Everyone needs to be held to the same standard. Well, okay, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting question as well. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, when the Republicans take over control of the House, they should give the Democrats three months to pass a bipartisan bill preventing this type of thing from happening in the future. If the Democrats don't get on board with it, they should release tax information for every Democrat and U.S. government. Well, that's that is the precedent that has been set. And again, it's this is the thing about Trump and his impact is that I keep getting all these texts and and people can't see beyond their just hatred of Donald Trump. Oh, the, Trump Trump is, Trump is awful. He's a con man. I, anything you can do to like show him up on this, that that's not the point. The the point is in America, tax returns are supposed to be private, and, and that's that's the law. Now Congress can obtain them, but then to turn around and make them public solely for the purpose of trying to embarrass, in this case, a former president or one of their enemies, or to gain political points from it. Do we really want to go down that route, or should we say, okay, maybe everybody's tax return should be public? I mean, maybe I maybe I have an interest in finding out whether my friend here, Mike Spaulding, is paying his fair share of taxes. So maybe they should make it public. We, we should know how much everybody makes. We should know how much taxes everybody pays. Well, we can have that to whether that's a good idea, but that's not what the law is right now. When we come back, as long as we're talking about Trump, 
They call it the Agnew option. Would something like this work for him? I will explain. We will discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back again. I'm, I'm trying. I'm. I am trying to be Susie Mary Sunshine here because the the, the, the two pieces of good news is that even though the weather forecast sounds kind of icky. Um, at least they, they've downgraded it a little bit. I mean, earlier this week they were talking about maybe a foot of snow. Now, who knows how much we're going to actually get, but right now it's down to three to five inches. And I'm not downplaying it because you know, if you get 30 and 40 mile an hour winds whipping that around, it, it does become a travel issue. But 30 and 40 mile an hour winds whipping a foot of snow around is bigger problem than three or four inches of snow, but not downplaying it. We'll continue to keep you updated on that. But secondly, for people who are going, oh, my God, it's, we're going to get all the snow and then you're going to get this bitter cold. It really is. If, if you look at the forecast, it's a it's a very short lived event. I mean, the forecast and we're, we're a ways off. But here we are Wednesday by by next Thursday. If you look at the 10 day forecast, temperatures are supposed to be in the 40s. 45, I think, is what I saw for the high on on next Friday, a week from Friday. So it's looking like, at least as far as New Year's Eve, no big monster snowstorms or anything like that, and, and, and much more temperate weather. So, again, I'm trying to give you the good news for people who are thinking, oh, my gosh, this is Christmas weekend, and we're going to have to travel, and flights are going to get canceled, and we're going to have all that stuff. Okay. Consistency is the hobgoblin of, of little minds. And this is it's it's one of these stories that I was watching. I was watching the TV broadcast of this. I don't know if it was on the ABC News. And I I found myself yelling at the television. And I, I just, you know, which I almost never do. But all right. Joe Biden is trying to argue that tight this title 42 should be be the title. What, let me back up. Title 42 is a provision of the U.S. Code that was invoked during the Trump administration and during the COVID pandemic. Now, the way it works is if you come into this country illegally and you say, I am seeking asylum, the law says you cannot be deported until your asylum claim is handled. Now, 90 plus percent of the people who come in seeking asylum do not qualify for asylum. I mean, the mere fact that, hey, there's no jobs in the country where I'm in, I want asylum, that, that doesn't qualify. But once you get into the country, you say, hey, I'm seeking asylum. Under the law, the way it stands is that you are allowed to stay in the country while your asylum claim is processed. And the fact is that 90% of the people are going to get sent back. That's just the reality, maybe 95% of the people. But what happens is when you get millions of people coming in and saying, I want asylum, we, we can't house them. We can't keep track of them. So what happens is they're essentially turned loose into the country and they never show up again. So you've got millions of people who are coming in claiming asylum that they're really not entitled to, but because they, they, they can't get a prompt hearing, they just disappear into the country. So it's effectively, this asylum game is effectively a, a way of having open borders. So there's a provision of Title 42 which says that essentially in, in times of emergency, what can happen is the, the government can have the summary expulsion of people on, on the grounds that they could be spreading COVID-19. 
And, and that's that's what the Trump administration did. And, and they estimate that since this policy has been used, they've turned away almost two and a half million people without first hearing their asylum cases. Right. Because it, it's not to say that, hey, you know, your asylum case won't be heard, but it's we're not going to let you into the country to essentially disappear you know, you're going to have to wait your turn. And when it's your turn, you know, they'll, they'll hear your case and decide it, but you can't be in the United States. And that's that's at least helped stop the absolute mess that is the border. All right, so that policy, a federal judge said, okay, it, it's time to, there, there's no longer an emergency, effectively. And, and the justification for turning people away, that is now over. Well, a number of governors are, are opposing this, the Biden administration, which um, recognizes and has admitted that if you do away with this particular provision, provision, it's going to make what's at the border. I mean, it's if you've got troubles now, it's going to be troubles with hair on them. I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. So the Biden administration, even though they acknowledge this is going to be a huge problem, they are arguing in court, no, that the justification for the, this sending people back the justification has expired. There's no longer a reason for this to happen. Um, they say that the government is at a point where that we just, the emergency rule is no longer necessary, essentially because, you know, the, the public health emergency that was behind it has now ended. Well, okay, that, that's, that's the position that they take. My point is, if the Biden administration wants to argue that from an immigration perspective, the public health emergency is over, how can they, in the same breath, argue that the public health emergency is the justification for not having people have to pay their student loans or is the justification for allowing us to forgive $10,000 or $20,000 in student loans? You can't, it seems to me you can't have it both ways. And you've got the Biden administration that is literally talking out of both sides of its mouth. Well, when it comes to immigration, and the Biden administration is essentially an open borders thing, we don't want to use this law to stop people from coming into the country, even though it's going to be millions of people that we're never going to be able to keep track of and that we know at the end of the day aren't going to qualify for asylum. But once they get into the country, they're going to be here and there's nothing we can do about it. But we're going to say, no, we can't keep those out because there's no COVID emergency going on right now and there's no justification. But at the same time, when it's something we want to do, which is make you know, billions of dollars in student loan debt for certain people go away. In that case, the justification is because there's a COVID emergency. <sighs> Consistency, I guess, is the hobgoblin of little minds. When we come back, the Agnew option, I will explain it, and I'm curious as to what your reaction to it is. Stick around. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. All right. I'm going to do something quickly that's going to make me feel old. Charlie, producing the show today and always. Do you know who Spiro Agnew is? Uh, He was Richard Nixon's uh, vice president. Look at the big brain on Charlie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Spiro Agnew was former governor of Maryland. Matter of fact, my parents are both from from Maryland. I remember Spiro Agnew was running for governor, and uh, he, he... 
they they started calling him Spiro Agnew when he was um, when he became the vice president. But before that, he was Ted Agnew. I, I can remember that's when he ran for governor, and, and he he came up through like Maryland government and Baltimore City and stuff, and it was. It was just a cesspool of corruption. So he became Nixon's vice president in '68, and kind of one of the the hatchet men for the Nixon campaign. He went off and took off the took on the media and things like that. And then what happened is they started investigating stuff he had done, not really as vice well, not in his capacity as vice president, but stuff that he had done back when he was governor of Maryland and before that when he was on these like county boards and stuff. And the guy was he was just crooked. There's just no doubt about it. He was taking all these payoffs and stuff. So what ended up happening is, and this is this is 1973. It's before Watergate, you know, hits hits big time, and you know Nixon ends up having to resign in 1974. But this is is 1973, and apparently what happened is. There's these prosecutors go and they say, hey, we, we've got all this widespread evidence of corruption that, that Agnew was was taking all this money and things like that. Bribery, fraud, corruption. And the federal prosecutors go to him. This is October of 73, I guess. And, and here's here's the deal they cut. And they, they've ended up calling this the Agnew option. They say, look, we want you gone. You know, this is. You're the vice president of the country. We we want you gone. Here, here's the deal. In exchange for your immediate resignation, step down as the vice president, you plead no contest to a single federal tax violation and no contest. Uh, the, uh, they, in the federal system, they call it no low contendery. It means you don't agree that you are guilty but you agree that there is sufficient evidence that a jury could find you guilty. It's it's a way of getting a conviction without somebody having to say, I'm actually guilty. But, you know, the practical effect of it, it's, it's a guilty plea because then you're found to be a felon. So they go to him and they say, okay, you resign immediately. You plead no contest to a single tax violation. You get fined $10,000. And that's it. No jail time. You You are allowed to pass into private life. You essentially, you know, disappear from the public concept consciousness. You are because you're a convicted felon. You're not allowed to run again. You know, so you're 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 not going to. I'm not sure that Agnew would have necessarily done that, but but you're gone. And what we've done is we've spared the country all this angst. We've and this is again, it's it's before the Watergate stuff happened. But I mean, can you imagine what a mess the country would have been in if Agnew? had been fighting this and trying to stay on as vice president. At the same time, you've got all the Watergate stuff going. Because at least at least what happened, Agnew stepped down, Gerald Ford became the vice president, and then, you know, once Nixon resigned, you know, Gerald Ford just stepped into it. Nobody questioned, you know, whether Ford was a crook or not. But can you imagine the mess the country would have been in had Agnew been clinging and saying, no, I'm not resigning anywhere, and I'm going to fight all this stuff. And from Agnew's perspective, you know, if he had lost... I don't know, depending on the nature of the corruption charges and the, that he got nailed with, it's quite likely that he would have gone to prison. So the, the Agnew option is he quits, he pays a fine, and then he goes on to private life. There is a very interesting story in the Washington Post today saying the Agnew option could be a way out for Trump and America. Now, this has been – look, I, I don't know where criminal charges are going to go against Donald Trump. You know, you've got the House January 6th committee that's issued its recommendations. Now, that that's political. 
It's, it has no legal consequence. You know, who knows what the Justice Department is, is going to do? I, I said this the other day. Again, regardless of how you feel about Trump, convicting him on any of the theories that the January 6th committee came out with, it, it is anything but a slam dunk. I mean, it's just anything but a slam dunk because, you know, you're going to have to prove, you know, criminal, criminal intent. I mean, and that's, that's very, very difficult. And if you go after a former president, you got to make sure you get him. And candidly, I, I don't know that they could do that. This is a case that there's never, you've, you know, on these different theories, never gone down that route. The, the record stuff out of Mar-a-Lago is not as sexy as the you know, sedition sort of charges, but it's, I mean, does seem kind of open and shut in some sort of cases. He took records that he probably wasn't entitled to. But even if you prosecute him for that, it, then, again, you're kind of off to the races where he says, well, I don't know if we had him or I thought I had a legitimate basis to keep him because I'm the president and I can declassify. When I was president, I could declassify anything. Again, it's it might be a simpler and less sexy charge, but it's not a slam dunk. That That's my, my only point. So my question is this, whether you love Donald Trump or you hate him, what about an Agnew option for him? In other words, they go to him and they say, okay, here, here's the deal. We're going to wrap all this stuff up. We are going to, in exchange for a plea of no contest to something regarding the, the records, for example. So you don't have to admit that you were trying to you know, harbor sedition against the country. In exchange for a plea of no contest to one of the records violations, which would be a felony, so you could not run again. Or even you give him a misdemeanor, but as a condition of that is you agree not to seek public office in the future. You pay a fine, and then you essentially you, you, you go back to life as a private citizen. But you, you abandon your efforts to run for future office. You know, you, you can be a kingmaker. You can conduct your business and things like that. Would that be – now, I mean, that – it requires two to tango. First of all, the Justice Department has to decide to do something like that. And secondly, Donald Trump has to come out and be willing to acknowledge something like that. And, and you know, I'm not sure he would ever do something, you know, where he admits that he was ever wrong. But at the same time, I mean, right now, right now, he, he's running legal fees that my guess are, my guess is are probably quickly becoming millions of dollars that he has to pay for. It's not the government paying for this anymore. It's not the Republican National Committee. He's having to pay for this stuff as a way of making all this go away. You know, is it something that you think might appeal to Trump? And is it something that might be good for the country? If the goal is to make sure he, he, he departs essentially from public life, doesn't run again, would something like the Agnew option be fair to all sides? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? They call it the Agnew option, and look, I, I'm not predicting it's going to happen, but I, I will tell you, in the interest of, of this country, worse deals could be made than the Department of Justice goes to Donald Trump and says, Here, here's the deal, you, you, you've got to resign, step back from public life, meaning you're not run for office anymore, you, you plead guilty to, to maybe a, a records charge in connection with these records. You pay a small fine, and then we, we drop the other criminal sort of proceedings. But what the public gets out of it is that, that Donald Trump doesn't run for, for office again. From Trump's perspective, he saves millions of dollars potentially in legal fees. He avoids 
having to, if he's ultimately found guilty, and, I, and that's a, that's, I, I think that's a stretch, but if he's found guilty, you avoid having to, to go to jail or something like that. The country saves itself a problem of, of trying to put a former president on trial um, and, and maybe getting a conviction and, and maybe not. I'm just, there's a, I'm just saying there's a lot to this. Now, that, that requires Trump coming to the conclusion that, that it's in his interest to do that, and I'm not predicting he's going to. But what's this idea? Is that a bad idea? Jeff, if I were Trump, I would take it because if they prove it, it's jail time, but Trump's never going to admit he's wrong. I think that this would be good for the country. Jeff, talk about a dangerous precedent. You're telling politicians to do what you want. If you get caught, you'll plead no contest to a relatively minor violation. Well, no thanks. Oh, okay, well, that, that's, that would be the argument. But at the same time, if you try to prosecute him on, this isn't taking bribes. This isn't a Spiro Agnew case where they had him dead to rights. These would be novel theories of law and really difficult issues trying to prove intent. Um, so I don't know how dangerous that is. Jeff, I'm an independent. I can clearly see what an outrageous witch hunt this has been. If they can pull this off against someone like Trump, just imagine how easily they could destroy anybody's life. Jeff, this is what the anti-Trump people have wanted all along. Well, that they just doesn't run again. Jeff, I'd accept it. I think in addition to a public and sincere apology and him admitting he committed these crimes. Well, that's... That's going to be tough. Jeff, Trump will never plead no contest to anything, certainly not if it prohibits him from seeking office. That's not an option. Well, if the, the only way Trump would go along with something like this is if he comes to the conclusion that, okay, first of all, I'm spending millions and millions of dollars in legal fees. Secondly, I'm going to potentially be exposed to um, jail or significant fines or whatever. And again, I... The thing that people need to realize, and I understand that if you're a Trump hater, you, you don't want to hear this, but I'm just telling you what the reality is. This isn't, like I say, it's not like an open and shut bribery case where, hey, we, we've got somebody you know taking money in exchange for that. These are novel, if you were to prosecute him on the stuff that came out of the January 6th committee, these are novel theories of law, and you would need to be an aggressive prosecutor to launch them. I'm not saying you couldn't get a conviction, but I'm saying if you think it's a dead-bang winner, you're just flat wrong. So an Agnew option, maybe it's something that gets Trump out of public life and yet lets the country move on. Just saying it's something that's out there. Okay, that's a train song, The Locomotion. I like that. Let's see. Uh, if I had to name my favorite train songs, well, City of New Orleans, that, that's certain by Arlo Guthrie. That certainly comes out. Um, also, Todd Snyder, he's got a song called Play, Me a Tr- Play a Train Song, which is actually probably, that's the one I listen to the most. It's an absolutely great song. But uh, why are we talking about trains? Jeff, Don't what, what, what's this idea with trains? Well, Trains are back in the news because it's free, I put that in quotation marks, free federal money, and Democrats in control of the White House and a Democrat governor. And what we are considering now is apparently taking taking hundreds of millions of dollars and deciding once again that we are going to consider putting an extension of Amtrak and running it between... Madison and Milwaukee. 
Now, for those of you who were around, oh, about 10, 11, 12 years ago, you will remember when we had the, this conversation before. Back back when Jim Doyle was the governor, um, one of the things that Doyle was looking for and looking towards doing was taking federal money, I think there was like $810 million, and creating a, a passenger rail line that ran between Milwaukee and Madison. Now, the problem with it at the time, the idea was, oh, it's free federal money. Why, why wouldn't we take free federal money just, just to do this? Well, then Scott Walker becomes the governor in 2010, and Walker says, look, there, there's, there's no way, because here's this. First of all, it's nothing that when it comes to the federal government. It's, it's taxpayer money to begin with. But what happens is if we take all that dough, we're still going to be on the hook for, for the operating costs. It's sort of like on a much larger version, you know, what's happening – with with the, the streetcar that, that nobody rides down here. You, you got federal money to build a good portion of the streetcar. But the problem is the, the city of Milwaukee is responsible for, like, the maintenance and the upkeep and things like that, and it's costing the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee millions of dollars a year to, again, support this streetcar that, that nobody rides. And, and I understand there's occasional people that ride it, but that almost nobody rides for all intents and purposes. But it, it's coming out of... So it, it's it's like, all right, you, we help you build this with the infrastructure, but then you're on the hook. And by the way, you know, City of Milwaukee, the deal you cut to get this means that you can't discontinue service. You, you have to run this for the next 20 years, so you have to continue losing millions and millions of dollars or taking it from other revenue. So we're, we're spending it to keep the streetcar line operating when it makes no sense to do that. So this this whole rail line is that on steroids. It's like, okay, if we can get federal money to build this, wouldn't that be great? Because then we have a train that can get you from Madison to to Milwaukee and theoretically could make it easier if you were going to Minneapolis because you could go from Chicago, you could go to Milwaukee, and then you could go to Madison, and then you could go up to Minneapolis. So theoretically, you know, it has that value, but it would have to be supported by the state of Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin would be responsible for the maintenance and things like that. So anyhow, Scott Walker ended up killing it. And that has been an ongoing source of concern. A lot of people that wanted to build the the train, they say, oh, this was the dumbest thing in the world. This would have been great if we had this, quote-unquote, high-speed train that went from Milwaukee to Madison. Now the idea is back. The, The governor is saying, well, you know what? I would be open to, you know, running, to, to, if the federal government has hundreds of millions of dollars that they're willing to give us, I would be open to taking that money and to building the train lines so we could hook up Milwaukee to, to Madison, right? That's it. Now, the Republicans in the legislature are saying, well, well wait a second. The, the problem with this 10 years ago was that there wasn't going to be enough ridership to make this viable, and it would end up losing money, and the taxpayers of the state would end up having to support this. And here we are going into 2023, and it looks like we're about to, you know, 2011 is calling, and it wants its issue back, because Governor Evers is apparently saying, hey, you know, I, this, this might be the time, and I'm, I'm open to moving ahead with this. The city of Madison is already starting to look at possible 
places where you could put the train, where the train depot would be, and that was part of the problem to begin with. They, they couldn't agree on spaces. If the idea was, hey, you can commute and get you close to the capital, well, there weren't a lot of good spots close to the capital, and everything was several miles away, and you'd have to take public transportation or rent a car or do something. So it's a problem figuring out where you would put this, where you'd put the train station in Madison if you were trying to appeal to, to commuters. But, you know, I, I, that was one of the hang-ups. Republicans are still saying, no, if this is going to require us to spend millions and millions of dollars on a yearly basis for upkeep, we're not interested. Governor Evers is saying, well, if there's enough free money that we get from the federal government, I'd, I'd certainly look at this. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Is it worth spending, I, I don't know, Hundreds of millions of dollars. They were looking at $810 million uh, 12 years ago. So a, a billion dollars to build, and I'm just, I'm just pulling a number out of the hat here, out of the hat, uh, a billion dollars to build a quote-unquote high-speed rail line to connect Milwaukee to Madison, understanding that the taxpayers of the state would then have to pick up the operating costs, however tens of millions of dollars that that would be. I mean, the, the trolley line in Milwaukee is, is a couple, it's over a million dollars a year, so you can only imagine what that would be. Do we need a train between Milwaukee and Madison? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. We discuss in a moment. See that train, the midnight train runs both ways. Well, the idea is back. In, in 2010, 2011, we spent a lot of time on this program arguing about whether or not the state of Wisconsin should take $800 plus million in free federal money and, and use it to construct a, a line for rail service, extending Amtrak between Milwaukee and Madison. Ultimately, um, Jim Doyle, who was the governor at the time, he was in favor of it. The Republicans in the legislature were not. Scott Walker became the governor in 2011 and, and killed the idea. Now the idea is back. Tony Evers is suggesting that, hey, we've got all this money that's out there. You know, the federal government has all this infrastructure money. I mean, I don't know how much it would cost, a billion dollars. I don't think that's unreasonable. The Republicans in the legislature are saying no because even even if it was, quote-unquote, free federal money, the state of Wisconsin would be on the hook for for providing the operating costs, for subsidizing the, the rail service, just like we subsidize the, the trolley in Milwaukee. And the argument is that the benefit you get out of it isn't that great. So let's tee it up, 855-616-1620. And by the way, I'm not anti-train. When, when I used to work for the U.S. Attorney's Office back in another life, I used to have to, have to go to Chicago a couple times a month to do oral arguments at the court of, United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, and and, and I love the train. I would hop on the Hiawatha. I think it left at like 6.50 in the morning, and it would get into Chicago like a little bit out after 8 o'clock, and I could walk down to the federal courthouse. I mean, I, I loved it for for that business purpose, but would, would Madison get as much business? Okay, let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Happy Hi. holidays. Same to you. Thank you. Um, here's my thought. Uh, I just love it when the Democrats say free money. Um, no, no, that's taxpayer money. It's not free. Um, and so, yes, if it was $810 million in 2011, I think an estimation of a billion dollars today would be fair. And guess what? We already have something. 
it's called the Badger Bus. Right. And it's $25, $25 from Madison to Milwaukee. It gets decent ridership. Um, my niece is a sophomore at the University of Madison uh, studying genetics, by the way. She's a smarty pants. But um, regardless, uh, the UW Badger Bus, uh, there's five stops in Madison, free for students. It's a great program. Um, the Badger Bus has stops. At Gerke's Corners, right. it's got stops at the, uh, the mall, um, and we already have something in place. You don't need to spend a billion dollars. Well, and, and Julie, and the, the, the advantage that the, the buses give, for example, is you can, you can add and subtract buses as the service warrants it. So if you have... For example, a time where there, there's a lot of like you got a lot of kids coming back. For example, from Madison to Milwaukee, you've got a huge demand for this. You you can add a couple more buses to take care of that demand. Once you've got that fixed rail stuff, you, you've got you've got your train cars, and you're going to run those train cars, whether there's 30 people that want to ride it or whether there's you know 300 people that are going to ride it. You you don't have that flexibility because that that train's going back and forth regardless. Exactly. And I, I, I'm like you. I'm not anti-train. I was actually also a Amtrak Hiawatha rider in my early days uh, when I worked in Chicago. And I don't believe that um, we need to reinvent the wheel here when we have something that already works. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. I guess the, the, the question would be if you – and one of the big arguments is, okay, first of all, is there enough commuter demand – on a regular basis between Milwaukee and Madison to justify this type of expense? That's question number one. Is, you know, do that many people commute that they would ride this on, on a regular basis? And again, that was one of the big issues when we had this discussion 10 or 12 years ago. It was, okay, where is the train station? How far is that from downtown Madison? How far is it from the Capitol? How are people going to get there? That was issue number one. I guess issue number two would be how how much demand is there to take the train from Chicago to Milwaukee to Minneapolis? So that that's because that's the other argument. Hey, if you if you connected this, you could go from Minneapolis from Chicago to Minneapolis via train. To which my question would be: Okay, how much demand is there really to go mean to go on a regular basis? from Chicago to Minneapolis via train. And when we look at these projections, I guess my question would be, let, let's try to have honest projections as opposed to these pie-in-the-sky projections that you get. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, first, happy holiday. Same to you, sir. Second, take, take one. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, second, take, take my call. Uh, so the, my answer to the question is yes and no. Uh, yes. It's a good idea, not now. I think that the aim is good, the target is wrong. I think that the Hiawatha makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And you would also have to upgrade it. True high-speed rail, something faster than 90 miles an hour, cutting that hour-and-a-half commute down to Chicago to, like, half the time, uh, because the Hiawatha gets great ridership. I think that if the the time were cut in half, you would open up more commuter opportunities, shopping opportunities for people coming to Chicago because Milwaukee is cheaper. Uh, you know, a lot more commuters. And then once that ridership increased, then expand north, you know, or you know, west of Madison and then northeast to Minneapolis. And, and it, it would make more sense to do it that way. That's the problem with that. Oh, I hate that. I hate to keep crawling this because I was a big streetcar supporter. 
Yeah. But that yeah. was the problem with the streetcar. You got to build a, a, a link that, you know, a line that makes sense and grow from there. And the advantage of the train over buses is I get the bus argument. Trains can keep the schedule. They're not subject to traffic. They're not as subject to, to, uh, to weather. And um, they're also safer. Yeah. No, I, I no, um, Lamar, th- thanks. I mean, I, I understand that's, and that's why, see, here, here, here is the deal. I am just, I think, and I, I think we're kind of saying the same thing in a way. I, I think right now you're, you're really putting the cart before the horse. When, when they, they talk about high-speed train, and, and, and it's not like the bullet trains that they have in, in Europe where, you know, you, you can get around. These, these are not, you know, high-speed trains in the sense of, boy, we, we've knocked off the commute time. So to that extent, I, I just, I'm wondering where the ridership is going to come from. Are there really that many people that are going to commute, you know, back and forth? How many, you know, how many trains are you going to have? How much is that going to end up costing? Because, I mean, keep in mind the road structure is really, you know, pretty good between Madison and Milwaukee. It's an easy drive if you want to do it. And for people that don't have cars or don't choose to drive, you know, our, our first caller, Julie, was correct that, you know, you've got that, that whole, you've got the Badger bus and you've got ways to do it. So before you take, Eight hundred and ten million, or a billion dollars, or whatever, and invested in infrastructure. What what is it going to be? Is it going to be really be a high speed train that's going to, like Lamar is saying, knock off a huge chunk of time, or is it going to be okay? We're just putting train service in for the sake of putting train service in. And what is the ridership really going to be? Now, I, again, I I like the trains. I thought I thought taking the train to Chicago made sense to me because it's a pain in the you-know-what to drive from Milwaukee to downtown Chicago. So in the situation I'm given, okay, I've got to be at the United States Court of Appeals in downtown Chicago for an argument at 1030 in the morning. Okay, I can I can hop on, the, I can drive to the Amtrak station, I can park my car, I can get on the train, and I'll, I'll be in downtown Chicago by 10 after 8. Okay, don't have to fool with parking. Don't have to you know, find the parking space. Don't have to pay for the parking space. I get it. Don't have to fool with traffic on the freeway driving you know, f- to downtown Chicago, which is a pain. That, that same dynamic isn't true when we're talking about Milwaukee-Madison. First of all, I would argue that a lot more people are going back and forth between Milwaukee and Chicago than necessarily Milwaukee and Madison from a commuting standpoint. But secondly, it's an e- it is a comparatively easy commute to go from Milwaukee to Madison. And, and what about the people who live halfway between? I mean, so, say you live in Pewaukee or you live in Johnson Creek or you live in Oconomowoc. Well, you're not... You're not going to take the train. I mean, you're not going to drive to Milwaukee to pick up the train, I guess. And so the question becomes, right, how many different train stations are you going to have to build? And if you do that, you know, what's that going to do to the time? I guess I just look at this, and I understand this is the big thing. We're all about mass transit. We're all about free federal money. Okay, Take a look at it, but let's get some honest numbers on what ridership is really going to be. Let's get some honest numbers on what cost is going to be, including the cost to the taxpayers moving forward. Because the idea that we would have to subsidize something that would be an air train, just like people in Milwaukee are subsidizing the air trolley, I I think that's a non-starter. A lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Hey, quick programming note. As I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, today is my last program for the, the balance of, of the year. Um, I know that sounds like a long time, but it's really just it's accumulated vacation. The way it works here at Good Karma Brands is you can only you get so much vacation and then you get to a point where the federal government, we used to call it use or lose, that you have to you can only carry over a couple days into the next year. So you get to a point where towards the end of the year, you've got all this vacation that's booked up. So I will be taking vacation tomorrow and Thursday and then I'm off all next week. I'll be back Monday, January 2nd. So we have uh, some interesting fill-ins and a couple best-of shows lined up. But before that happens, I, I did want to. Um, it's been it's been a very very interesting year. Um, very very on so many different levels, professionally, incredibly successful. Whether you measure it in terms of like ratings or awards that the program has won and things, but that does not happen without our great sponsors, our great partners, and it doesn't happen without you listening. So I want to just take an opportunity to say thank you. I, I used to end every program by saying something to the effect of when it comes to your radio listening. I know you have a lot of different choices, and I do appreciate you spending the last couple hours with me. I don't end every show by saying that anymore, but I I do feel that way. So for all of you who've listened to the program this year and have listened to the program for the 24, 25 years that we've been on the air, thank you so very much and um, appreciate it and looking forward to continuing doing the program for the foreseeable future, all excited about that news that um, the Republican National Convention now has a date, you know, mid-July of 2024. And it's um, going to be an interesting time. Who knows, who knows, you know, a year and a half from now, what the presidential scene is going to look like and whether or not Joe Biden's going to run for re-election, whether or not Donald Trump is still going to be in the picture. I I might be a contraindicator. I, I tend to believe, I still believe that he, he's, I don't know what's going to happen but my belief is that in the next year or so, he decides he's not going to run for president. Now, that might be because of circumstances beyond his control, including indictments or things like that, or just a recognition that he can't win or whatever. But I continue to believe that he's not going to be around. I'm not saying that he's not going to necessarily try to be a player in presidential politics, but I don't believe he's going to be a candidate, at least the Republican Party candidate, in 2024. But who knows? I, I could be wrong. And if he's not, then the question is, who is it? Is it, is it Ron DeSantis, who I think, would appear to be a kind of a prohibited favorite, but there's a lot of other intriguing candidates as well, including Tim Scott, the senator from um, South Carolina, who's got a great backstory, an interesting guy, or Nikki Haley. You know, oh, it's it's very very interesting to see where things go. All right, I, there's a number of takeaways from this story, and in some respects, it it's one that could have could have ended badly, and thankfully didn't. Uh, This is the way Channel 12 reports it. Thieves steal minivan with six-year-old child in the back seat. All right, so here is the story. Um, Her name is Clara Baskin, 37, said around 7.30 Tuesday morning she was warming up her Honda. Um, Her six-year-old son is sitting in the back seat of the car. So 7.30 in the morning, She's getting ready to take her son to school. So they both get in the car. She starts the car. So it's warming up. She's in the car. The kid is in the car. So what happens at that point in time? She looks around and she says, oops, I forgot my cell phone. The cell phone is inside her apartment. So what does she do? She gets out of the car. She leaves the car running because it's heating. It's cold. The kid's in the backseat of the car. 
She is gone for less than a minute. Less than a minute. She comes out. Her minivan is gone. She tells the TV station, I'm like, oh, my God. I run down the stairs. I see my car like a block up the street, and I'm just running down the street. The car was stopped on the next block over with the front doors wide open. Uh, The lady says she saw three males running away. It was scary. I thought my baby's gone. I saw the three, but I didn't see my baby. I just took off. I didn't know I could run that fast. Um, She said her son wasn't hurt and thinks the thieves didn't immediately realize he was in the car. I've got a child-proof lock on my back seat. I really think that the third thief tried to get in, but when you pull on it, you can't get in. Um, The kid was scared. He started crying, and that's when they noticed he was in the back. They would have kept going if he was quiet. I'm glad he did make a sound. Apparently, the six-year-old originally thought it was his two older brothers driving off with the minivan. He said he realized it was two strangers, and he got upset. What do you remember what happened? The kid says they, they got in the car, and then what? And the kid says they said a bad word. Um, old blank, probably when they noticed that the kid was there. Milwaukee police confirmed the car theft, said it was searching for unknown suspects. Good luck with that. Uh, the lady said the thieves didn't take her purse, her laptop, or the Christmas gifts in the car. They only wanted the vehicle. Um, uh, it, you all just got to stop this. You don't know what type of family I am. You don't know anything. To just jump in somebody's car and not even know who was in the back seat. My baby was back there. You could have hit something, anything. Just stop taking people's cars. It's not safe. And then she said she did learn a scary lesson. Message to me is, don't leave my car running with my kid in the car. I would never do that again. Even if I forget something, we are all getting out of the car. Which, which brings me to the larger point of all this. That is that, on the one hand, you can look at this lady and you can say, my gosh, lady, how dumb could you be? You know, you, you've got your six-year-old son in the car. The car is running. You get out. You leave the ca- child unattended for a, a very limited period of time to, to go get your car keys. How? To go get your phone. How could you do that? So I understand that that's the Maybe that's the reaction that you have, and, and maybe that is, is one reaction that, that you should have. Maybe the reaction should have been, okay, here's the deal. You left your phone there. Here's what you have to do. you got to stop the car. You've got to get the kids out, get the kid out of the car. You've got to get him out of the car seat. You've got to get him in. You take him inside. You grab your phone. You come back. You start the car. You put the kid back in the car seat. Uh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe that's what you end up having to do. So I get that. But to me, the larger point is, What does it say about a community that you cannot leave a car unattended for 60 seconds without it being stolen? Just think about that. Now, I understand. You can say, no, she—look, I I understand what the lady was doing. She's like, oh, I just left my phone in there. I'm just going to run in. I'm only going to be out a minute. I mean, it's not like she left the car abandoned or, you know, running, you know, in some remote location. She she left it for 30, 30, 60 seconds. And and let's say she's underestimating the time. Let's say it was 90 seconds, but it was run in the house, grab the phone, run back out. What does it say about a community that you cannot leave a car running and unattended— for a minute or 90 seconds, if you prefer, without people stealing it. This tells me that you have people in this community, 
you have these thieves that are driving through neighborhoods just looking for something like this to happen. And you almost wonder whether there's somebody doing this on every block. Is this just what's going on now that you have a whole bunch of pirates that are out there, these thugs, these thieves, that are just, especially when it gets cold, driving around hoping to find somebody who does something I don't even necessarily want to say it's stupid. That's not, I don't mean to be judgmental about this, but just, oh my gosh, I've got to run in there. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. And I understand there might be some people who want to criticize the lady, and, and I get it. But to me, the larger thing is, did you think we'd ever get to a point where you cannot leave a car unattended, in this case with a kid in the back, unattended for 60 seconds or 90 seconds and in Milwaukee, it's going to get stolen. I mean, that, that to me is, is the staggering thing. And yeah, I understand you can say she shouldn't have done it. I get it. I'm not going to argue that. But that there are so many thieves out there that they are just waiting to pounce. I mean, is this, is this what's going on on every block? Are there just a bunch of these roving thieves driving around just waiting to see this? 855-616-1620. This is the type of stuff that makes a community absolutely unlivable. And again, she shouldn't have done it. I, I get that. But the car was stolen in a matter of seconds. How crazy and how disappointing is that? 855-616-1620. This is just this amazing story. If you're just tuning in, 7.30 yesterday morning, lady comes out of her apartment um, six-year-old kid, puts the six-year-old kid in the car seat, starts her Honda minivan, swarming it up, getting ready to go wherever we're going to take the kid to school, realizes she's left her phone in the house. She then, okay, says, all right, it, look, I, I don't want to get the kid out of the car seat. I, I just want to run it. She runs into her house. She says it takes 60 seconds. Let's say it's 90 seconds. She comes out. The car is stolen. There's three guys that in that space of time, that 60 seconds or 90 seconds or whatever, they've gotten into the car, they stole it, they're driving down the street. Now, the, the story ends well because they apparently realized that there was a child in the car, so they abandoned it. She's running there, you know, screaming. What does it say about a community? And again, you can say she was she shouldn't have left the car running, but you can't you can't do this for 60 seconds and your car is going to be gone Let's start with uh, Nancy. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. You can't leave your car running for 60 seconds and turn your back anymore. You, you, you can't. I lived outside of Houston for 10 years. I locked my car doors everywhere I went while I was in the car because there were people at the stoplights who jump in your car and carjack you. You you can't leave your doors open. You can't leave your garage door unlocked. We are too Midwest nice that we think we're safe. We're not safe anymore. You're not safe out here in Burlington. You're not safe in Union Grove where that, that guy entered the side door of that woman's garage and stole her car. Now there's what? A five-month-old baby missing in Ohio because Mm -hmm. the woman's trying to work and do DoorDash, and she has twins, and that twin is missing. I'm telling people, lock everything. Lock everything. You 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 cannot leave your car running. No, no, thank you. You can't. I'm sorry. No, Nancy, I I, I don't think anybody disagrees with this. But I guess, to to me, the, the other point is, how did we get to this point that crime is so out of control that there are, are literally, there, there must be people prowling every street 
waiting for somebody to do something like this, to slip up. It's a minute. It's not like it was five minutes. It's not like it was 15 minutes. She runs in to get her phone, runs into her apartment, grabs the phone. How long could that possibly take? And the car is gone. Jeff, this lady deserves no blame at all. She did something very few people can't say they haven't done at one point in time in their lives. Let's focus on the criminals, not the poor ladies. They will never forget what happened that day. Thank goodness it turned out okay. Yeah, well, that's... You know, that's just the the reaction. Jeff, imagine how vigilant, you know, downtown valets have to be. I can just imagine about this. Jeff, to me, this proves stay away from Milwaukee, many other places to live or spend the money. Um, Jeff, this kind of stuff happening in her neighborhood, what's to say there won't be a drive-by shooting or grabbing the child next time? Well, that's it. Jeff, the real problem is that people think it's her fault that her car got stolen in her own driveway. I guess that's kind of the the point. It's... You know, have we really gotten to that point where we are so accepting of the thugs and the punks and the thieves that that's our reaction? And I, and I appreciate what Nancy was saying. I get it. Oh, you can't do this because, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up to be a victim. You're a target. Where is our outrage over the fact that you've got a bunch of punks and thugs and thieves who are driving around patrolling neighborhoods waiting for you or me to, to make that mistake? And isn't that the larger point? And don't we deserve better? And how did we get to this point collectively in this community, in this region, in this state, in this country, where that, that's the norm, that it's, it's your fault if, you know, you, you leave your car unattended for a couple seconds, or it's your fault if, gee, you, you left your garage door up, you know, while you were in the backyard, or, you know, you, you didn't have your windows locked, or you had your front door open, or something like that. You know, at some point in time, don't we have to start saying we got to take back the streets, and that this idea that we've created this permissive culture where the criminals can feel emboldened enough that, hey, there's this lady that made a mistake, here, I'm going to jump on and I'm going to steal their car. I guess my point is that that should really be the story. Um, let's talk to Pam in Greenfield. Pam, you're on WTMJ. I could not agree more with this. I agree with everything the previous caller said. Um, how did it get this way? How did the community get to be this way? It's simple. There's no consequences for actions. And if there is no consequence for the actions, you're just going to keep doing it. Ask any parent Parents will tell you this about their own children. If you can get away with it, just go ahead and do it. I think the judges and the DAs in this community are tasked with keeping innocent citizens of these communities safe. They are failing miserably. All of us, all of us, um, our lives are now changed in the last couple years. Do, do people drive in, in uh, different routes now to go out to dinner or go sure. visit friends? And the answer is, yeah, I do. do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And, and why do we have to do that? And, and you know, I don't go downtown anymore out to dinner. I, I used to love doing that. I don't go. This is ridiculous what is going on. And I just hope that at the time when elections come around, people connect the dots. I mean, we have got to... Vote in legislators, judges, et cetera, 
that are going to change this because it's just going to get worse if there's no consequences for actions. Um, Nancy, I, I, I could, I'm, I, Pam, I couldn't couldn't agree more with you. I, I just and and it, it is the frustration. And I know I know a lot of people hear the story or saw the story and they're saying, "Oh, what, what a dummy this lady was," or that's you know, and it, it's lucky it turned out this way that they, they abandoned the car. And 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 yes, I, I get it. You can't leave your car unattended at all. But still. My goodness, we've gotten to this point where we now accept this. And, and I mean, I, I do wonder, you know, if you had if my, my one of my anti-crime approaches is flood the area with police. But can you imagine again? This this is the problem. So there obviously we know that there are cars full of people who are slowly prowling through areas looking for somebody to do what this lady did. Well, OK, can you imagine what and here's here's the problem with the cops. So the cops see a, a car driving slowly through the area or driving, you know, around a four or five block radius. And so they, they pull them over. Well, then you're going to have all the ACLU types say, well, why did you pull them over? Well, the answer is, OK, we're we're looking for, you know, people who are looking for targets of opportunity. And then, of course, you know, then the cops, they're, then they're going to get criticized. Well, well, you're stopping too many of this type of person or that type of person. At, at some point in time, the pendulum has swung so far away from public safety as to not be funny. And when I saw the district attorney on television the other night trying to defend his policies on reckless driving, it's just absolutely ridiculous. The bottom line is the criminals are winning right now. That's, that's what's going on. And if we're going to have a sustainable community, we, we have to reverse that. There's no reason people should feel emboldened enough to drive around neighborhoods hoping to find somebody who lets their guard down for a moment or does something that, you know, in retrospect might be dumb. But at the same time, we can all say, well, yeah, you just, you just ran in to, to get to get your keys. And um, depending on where you live, you know, that it, it, maybe that describes how dumb it, it might be. In some communities, maybe you can still do that. But you sure can't do that in the city of Milwaukee. You know, what, what does that say about people wanting to live in the city of Milwaukee? Let's take back the streets. Is that too much to ask for 2023? Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Um, you know, people are playing Christmas music and things like that right now. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the song Beer Run, B-E-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. Now, why do I mention that? Because I actually got a kind of provocative, or at least a semi-provocative text from one of our, our listeners. Uh, look, it, it's they've just, I think, issued like a winter storm warning for the area. And, and even though they've been downgrading it, I, I don't mean to, I always try to neither overhype or underhype storms. There's this big winter storm that's moving through a good chunk of the country, and it's going to create problems here. Now, they've, they're now saying like three to five inches of snow, but as we were talking about earlier, blowing, you know, blowing snow. And if you've got travel tomorrow into Friday, especially like long-distance travel, it, it, it's going to be a little bit dicey. All right, so I, I understand all that. But at the same time, um, it, it's supposed to be largely out of here by, you know, by, by Friday or certainly Saturday. So there's going to be some cold weather after that. But this is not this long-term thing. Matter of fact, by, by next Thursday or Friday, it's supposed to be in the 40s again. So this is a, it's, it's going to be kind of icky for a couple of days. And I don't mean to, to down, downplay that, but it's, it's just, it is a couple of days. And as I say frequently, you know, here in southeastern Wisconsin, 
we do we do snow pretty well. Now, I understand if you live in rural areas, you know, maybe it takes a little bit longer for the plow to get there. And I, I get that there's issues and there's going to be blowing and drifting snow and things. You need to be careful. But the bottom line is this isn't like you are going to be snowed in for weeks. That That's just not what's going to happen. And my guess is that most of the stores are going to be able to stay open you know, tonight and, and into Friday, and certainly they're going to be open Christmas Eve on Saturday. And I also understand this is coming at a bad time because people are finalizing their Christmas shopping and things like that. But but what always amazes me is whenever we get these forecasts, and I've said this before, people just assume that it is the end of the world, and they, they rush out and they feel compelled to buy every loaf of bread they can find and, and every gallon of milk and you have almost this panic buying and these rush on the stores. Now, I was thinking about that because on my way home this afternoon, my wife does most of the shopping, but there's just a couple things. There's a couple things I would like to stop by the store and, and pick up, kind of like my own little version of a, of a beer run. But, you know, I'm, and there's this grocery store right across the street, essentially, from where I live. Now, here's one of the texts I got from one of our regular listeners. Jeff, the unnecessary run on grocery stores has begun. The parking lot at the Metro Market in Mequon is jam-packed. It took me half an hour just to pick up a steak. Now, I understand some of this is probably due to, again, you know, pre-Christmas shopping. I, I get it. You know, Christmas Eve is coming up on Saturday. This is Wednesday, so people are trying to stock in. But, but let's face it. What a lot of this is, is it's this panic stuff that people are rushing out. And, oh, my God, there's, there's going to be some snow and stuff, so I need to buy a week's worth of provisions. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I guess what I'd like to discuss is, do you see this phenomena, and, and do you understand it? I mean, I look, I get the fact that, you know, there might be a situation where, okay, maybe tomorrow night, if it's really bad and it's cold and it's snowy, you're, you're not going to feel like, like going out, and so you want to make sure you have, you know, lunch for the kids and dinner and maybe the following breakfast and things like that. But this idea that people feel this compulsion to run out and buy a week's worth of groceries or everything they can possibly find and, and stock up because we're going to get a few inches of snow and some wind and it's going to last for a couple days. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. It is this, it is this idea of, of going out and about and feeling this need that we're never going to be able to get out. Where, where does this come from, uh, this panic buying? And are you seeing it? 855-616-1620, back in just a minute. Okay, so in the back, my wife does almost all of our shopping. But on the way home today, I was thinking there's a couple things I'd like to pick up at the grocery store. Here, here's my shopping list. A, a head of lettuce, some salad dressing, um, some whole wheat bread, a jar of peanut butter. I want to get my wife flowers because she's a wonderful wife and I love her very much. And um, maybe a jar of bacon bits. Okay, that, 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 that's it. And, and it's not because I'm stocking up because there's going to be snowmageddon or something. It's just because... That that's I'm on my way home, and that's what I'd like to pick up, and I've got some some plans. Those are some of the things I want to eat in the next day or so. I, I'm being discouraged because being told that if if you go out right now, it's just nuts in the stores because everybody's afraid that it's going to snow. Jeff, from um, I went to grocery shopping in Mayville last night because I didn't have the time to go the weekend. The parking lot was full. The lines to check out were halfway down some of the aisles. 
It was ridiculous. I only went for my normal grocery trip. I did not expect the madhouse that I encountered. Um, uh, that's it. Jeff, um, let's see, 855-616-1620. Um, that's, um, Jeff, it's human nature, my friend. It's not logical that people do this. Jeff, I find this panic shopping absolutely crazy. I grew up in northwest Wisconsin where the weather is not uncommon. Yes, people need to think smart. No, this is not a hurricane which will shut down our world for weeks on end. You know, get get real people. Well, there is that element of that. Jeff, Costco in Green Bay was wall-to-wall. Not even a single cart was available to use, and the checkout line was wrapped all the way to the back of the store. I left. I only needed a few things. I'll hit a smaller store sometime to avoid the insanity. Jeff, after working 40 years in retail, I found people are like birds and squirrels. If they feel threatened, they have to stock up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I should talk to my brother. He likes his German Pilsner beer. I have to drive out to Bayshore to find it. Of course, that's what his Christmas present is going to be. Jeff, I work in grocery stores. It was crazy today. Woodman's had five deep at every checkout. You could barely get through to fill the shelves. Okay, and again, I'm not... I'm not downplaying what's going to happen, but the bottom line is by Christmas Eve, everybody's going to be able to get out and get to the stores. Do we all need to flock and buy everything we possibly can find? Scott in Appleton. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I know you've never plowed snow before. No, no, not commercially, uh, no. I did it 31 years. I gave it up this year uh, commercially. You be surp- I'm glad that the people are out now, because I'll tell you that, what. During a snowstorm, you will see more people get it, trying to get to the grocery store and parking everything in, yeah. and we are supposed to be there trying to plow it. And then they're always in our way. And, of course, they pull right up to the front of the doors and wait for their wives or husband to do their shopping. Right. And, yeah. you know. We're supposed to clear it, and I, I'd like to see them now. This is a better time than during the snowstorm. Well, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, oh. thanks, I, thanks to the call, Scott. I guess that my, my point is, I, look, I, I, I understand if, if you need stuff, I, I get it. But, I mean, seriously, how, how, many, people, how many people can't go for a, a day without, you know, have, having to go out and run to the store. Jeff, a friend of my fiance is a manager at a pick and save. She's sending me teary-eyed emoticons from being over-the-top busy yesterday and today. Can't find a cart in the corrals in the parking lot or in front of the store. Can't keep the store shelved for one to two days of Wisconsin weather. People are geese. <laughs> that's um, that's it. Jeff, I was out shopping today and already planned in, in preparation for Christmas and out-of-town guests. And I do understand that's part of it. I mean, it it's Christmas Eve, but if you know Christmas is coming up over the weekend, but but let's face it, that's not what's driving. I think a lot of the people that are in the stores now, they're afraid that hey, it's going to snow a bit. I was out shopping today, but had already planned to in preparation for Christmas and out town guests. It was crazy. People loading their carts with milk, butter, water, and lots of non-holiday items. I felt as if I was in Tennessee or Alabama, where the forecast such as ours would be crippling. Um, are we not stout Wisconsin residents? Um, yeah, that's that. Now, Mark from West Bend says, I blame the TV and radio thing over and over and over again about the same thing, and they get everybody wound up selling fear. Well, that's why we, we always tried not to underhype stuff and certainly not to overnight stuff. 
Jeff, do people not have a little surplus in their fridge freezers and cabinets to make it four or five days, or am I doing it wrong? Well, I don't even think you're talking about four or, or five days in general. Um, Jeff uh, just came from a pick-and-save in Wales. Busy but festive and helpful atmosphere, preaching, people reaching top shelf for people who could not, people barking about meat prices but still smiling. All right, well, that's that's good. Jeff, panic buying all starts with the media. Nonstop coverage of something that hasn't even happened yet. News alert, it snows every winter. Jeff, it's crazy, and I don't understand it. We live on a country road. Even with the snow plows, they do a great job. We can always get out the day after snow with no problem, and I'm sure we could get along and not go hungry for just a couple days. Well, I think that there is an element of that. Um, let's see. We've got Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, afternoon, Jeff. I was at that Mequon um, store yesterday, oh, yeah. and it was comical. The whole chicken, you couldn't buy any chicken on the back shelf. And I and I just stopped in just because I'm like I could actually go for a few pork chops tonight. Yeah. And all of a sudden I looked around. And I'm like, Are you serious? This is what this is just because we're getting four inches of snow. And uh, there was an older gentleman standing by me at the butcher shop. And we both were like laughing because I had the I bought the last four pork chops. <laughs> I said to him, I'm like, I sure hope you didn't want a pork chop. And he just started laughing. So like, it's it's silly. Well, it 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 is. And again, it, I mean, and and the truth is that store you went to in all likelihood it's it's going to be open Friday. It's going to be open Saturday. It'll be closed on Christmas Day. I mean, it's 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 not like you, you showed up there because you wanted dinner. I, I get it. And that's some of the people that are out there shopping, but that's not a lot. The people who are like stocking up on butter and buying six gallons of milk. What you know, you you're you're not going to need it. It's gonna be forty degrees here by the by next week, for goodness sakes. So, Absolutely. No. All right, have a good holiday, bud. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for the call. Jeff, I went out and stocked up on beer and sausage. That's all I need, and I am good. Jeff, if we need anything, we will most likely go out on Friday or Saturday to get what we need. Um, I blame COVID for all this craziness. Well, no, because th- this stuff happens, you know, every time. And I I mean, I, I look, look here, here's the deal. I, I know... Okay, so so Saturday, Christmas Eve, we're going over to my my stepdaughter's house and my son-in-law's house, and but then Christmas Day, we're we're having people over at our house, and, and I know, for example, my wife has has ordered you know what we're having for Christmas Day, so my mission is going to be Christmas Eve. That's Saturday. I, I have to go. You know, it's in our neighborhood, but I have to go. You know, run some errands and pick up the food. I have no doubt that these stores are going to be open by Christmas day. Jeff, it's not about the snow. It's about people waiting for the last minute to prepare Christmas meals. We do this every year with or without snow. The stores are always jammed the week before Christmas. Now, I know the stores are busy, but I think I think it's um I think it is naive to suggest that this is not being fueled in part, in large part, actually, by concern about the snow, which explains why the people are buying, you know, all the butter and all the 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 stuff like, you know, that. So, I, again, here, here's the yes, – I just ran into town to get a bottle of whiskey at Pick and Save, got there, and the whole lot is full. I turned around. Well, now, if I was making a W-H-I-S-K-E-Y run, maybe I would have been willing to stay – but if the lot is full, I think my lettuce can perhaps wait until tomorrow, assuming I can uh, find that. All right. Bottom line is, stay aware of this. You know, and, it, and it's obviously, you know, there's a winter storm warning. That's nothing to fool around with. But at the same time, um, I think we also have to avoid 
panicking. And there might be a period of time where it's not advisable to travel if you don't have to travel. But, I mean, you're, you're going to be able to get out the grocery store in the next couple of days. I, I'm pretty sure of that. All right. Like I said before, I want to say a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody. This is my last show of the year. I'm back Monday, January 2nd when we start. We start 2023 very much looking forward to it. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thanks for listening over the course of the last year. Thanks for listening over the course of the last 24 or 25 years. I appreciate it more than you can know.